Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Brawn Body Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be bringing you the best exercises you can do for your back. So this is part of our series on the best exercises by body part. So, so far, we've gone over shoulders, arms, and chest. So if you're interested in any of those, I highly encourage you to check out those episodes or the show notes on our website, brawnbodytraining.com. So as I said, this episode is all about the back, so we're going to start with reviewing back anatomy, then we're getting into the best exercises for your back, and how to program those exercises effectively in your workouts, especially when we talk about pairing back exercises with chest exercises, so that classic pull-push kind of pairing. I said in the last episode that we were going to explore that a little more, so we're going to dive in a little deeper there and make sure you know what you need to know in order to program these exercises in your workouts effectively. So starting off with the anatomy of the back, and the way I'm going to approach this is the muscles that are more superficial, so more visible, to the deeper muscles, muscles that are there but you can't really see. And I'm going to start proximal to distal or top down. So the first muscle I want to review is the traps or the trapezius. And this muscle attaches to your skull, it attaches to your neck, and it attaches to your upper thoracic spine. So upper portion of the mid-back around where your scapula or shoulder blades are. And this muscle runs over to attach onto the scapula and the clavicle. So it kind of makes this trapezoid-like shape, which is why we call it the trapezius or the traps. Because of that, there's three different parts to this muscle. It's one muscle, but we break it up into three different sections based on the orientation of the muscle fibers. So the first portion from the skull is what we call the upper trapezius or the descending fibers. So they run top down. We then have the middle trapezius or the middle traps, which run from mostly from the neck and the upper portion of the thoracic spine over to places like the scapula and the clavicle, so it's kind of a straight over kind of approach. And then we have the lower trapezius, or the ascending fibers. So these are the muscle fibers on the lower portion of the middle back that run upwards. So again, it kind of gives the muscle this scapular, or I'm sorry, trapezoid type shape to it. And this muscle, primarily does elevation of the scapula. So it's going to do something like a shoulder shrug. But because of its other attachments, it also acts on some of our other joints in our shoulder girdle, like the acromioclavicular and the sternoclavicular joint. Basically, the joints between your clavicle and your sternum, and your clavicle and your scapula. Um, In addition to elevation, the middle trapezius is also important for uh, retraction, so pulling the shoulder blades back. And the lower fibers are also important for scapular rotation and depression. A little note on scapular depression, because we're going to talk about that more when we review the lats. 
Scapular depression primarily occurs due to gravity. So gravity exerts a downward force on our body, so it's going to pull things down. However, there are certain instances when we need muscles to assist us with depression of our scapula. So think of something like a dip, like a chest dip. When you're doing a chest dip and pushing down actively, you're depressing your scapula. So if you do your dip right, you're going to feel activation in these muscles in your back, even though you're primarily working your chest. Next, I also wanna go over the rotator cuff. So when we talk about the rotator cuff, we typically think of the uh, supraspinatus, infraspinatus, teres minor, and the subscapularis. And I reviewed all of these in the shoulder podcast. However, I wanted to review them again because anatomically speaking, they all attach to the scapula. So they are in the back. They don't really do a whole lot of back type movements because they cross the shoulder joint. They don't originate at the spine and cross the scapula. They do, however, extend the shoulder and externally rotate the shoulder, uh, specifically the teres minor and the infraspinatus or infraspinatus, both externally rotate and extend the shoulder or horizontally abduct the shoulder. So to a certain extent, you could say that they will be synergistic in some of your back movements. However, they're not going to be the primary movers. They're not the big guys, so to speak. Close to the rotator cuff, we also have the rhomboids. These are more in the middle, basically just deep to the middle trapezius. And they run from the upper portion of your thoracic spine. So upper portion of your middle back, about T2 to T5 is what I see in most books. And they attach to the medial border or the vertebral border or the middle border of the scapula. So they attach right along that middle there. And when I say rhomboids, I'm talking about rhomboid major and minor. You have two of them. And the major, shockingly enough, is larger than the minor. And they appear as sort of a rhombus kind of shape. These two muscles are mostly important for retraction. So pulling those shoulder blades back together, things like rows. They also have a little function with downward rotation and elevation, but these are both very much synergistic movements. They are by no means the primary mover, movers in these exercises. So rhomboids, think retraction. And lastly, we have, oh, not lastly, we have one more after this, I forgot about. We have the lats and the teres major, and I'm grouping these two together because they're very similar. So the teres major attaches to the scapula uh, from, yeah, the lower portion of the scapula and comes over to the arm. It attaches right next to the lats, so they do very similar things. The lats run from, they connect pretty much everything. They're one of the biggest muscles in the body. I think second biggest, bigger than, just bigger than the glute, or just smaller than the glute max, I'm sorry. 
So they run from the sacrum, the pelvis, the middle back, so specifically thoracic vertebra 6 to T12, and they run all the way over the thoracolumbar fascia, which is this thick, dense connective tissue that covers your middle and lower back. And they attach to the humerus, like the teres major. So this muscle literally connects your lower back, your sacrum, which is where we typically considered the butt to be, and the hips, all the way up to the arm. It's crazy to see how everything's connected here. There's usually a scapular attachment as well because these muscles do a lot for the scapula as well. There's a subset of population, according to the textbooks, that do not have that scapular attachment. However, I'm going over everything here. So at the shoulder, the lats are going to adduct, extend, and internally rotate. So what that's going to look like is pulling the shoulder back behind the body, pulling the shoulder in, and rotating the shoulder in. So this would be your classic lat pulldown. So when we do a lat pulldown, we're extending our shoulders, we're adducting them because they're coming together, and we're internally rotating. In most cases, um, there's most of the time we want to externally rotate and I'll go over that more when I talk about them. Um, they also assist in retraction, depression and downward rotation of the scapula. So again, they typically attach to the scapula and they're going to do a lot there too because these are big muscles. The last muscle group I almost forgot about was I lumped these all together. The spinal erectors or erector spinae, which there are three of them, the quadratus lumborum, the transverso spinalis group, basically a bunch of smaller muscles in the back that are deeper uh, than the muscles that we've talked about so far. You typically won't see these unless you do something like a dissection. Uh, and I typically group these with the core because of their role in providing stability to the spine. So as a result, I'm going to skip them for now and go over them in our podcast about the core training. So again, because these muscles act primarily to stabilize the spine, it makes sense to group them with the other muscles that stabilize the spine. There are some other muscles I didn't mention that are very minor However, I can go over them in a future podcast on more specific things. So those muscles would be like the serratus posterior, which assists in moving the ribs for breathing and respiration, uh, the different suboccipital muscles. So they're up in the top portion of your neck where your neck meets your skull, and they help you move your head around. I can go over those in more detail later on in a future episode, but for now we're focusing on back exercises. And typically when we think of back exercises from a strength and fitness point of view, we think of these bigger muscles. So now that we've gone over the back anatomy, let's dive into the exercises. How can we strengthen these muscles or grow these muscles? So first, and what I would consider by far the most effective back exercise is the pull-up and the chin-up, especially when you load these with weighted variations. So for me personally, 
weighted pull-ups and chin-ups and their variations have done more for any other exercise in building a big, strong back. They target the lats specifically, so they hit the biggest muscle in the back, and they add some great width or wings, as some people call them, to the back. However, they will activate all the other muscles too, to some extent. So you're still going to see some retraction, so some trapezius and rhomboid activation in a pull-up or chin-up, even though it's a vertical pulling movement. This is also a closed chain exercise, which typically activates more muscle than an open chain exercise. And what that means is the segment that you're holding on to does not move. So the pull-up bar does not move whatsoever. Uh, you can do these pretty much every, anywhere too, as long as you have access to a sturdy and stable pull-up bar. And like I said, there's a lot of variety to these too. You can do narrow grip, wide grip, neutral grip. You could do one of those bent bars where your wide grip is kind of like at an angle. You can do, you can do the over-under pull-ups like I do, archer pull-ups, gymnastic rings. There's so much variety you can do with just a simple exercise. You pretty much never get tired or bored of doing pull-ups. I typically program these early in my workouts because, like I said, I like to load them and I mix up how much and how heavy I load this exercise. So there's times when I'll do three to five sets of lower repetitions, three to six reps. And then there's times where I'll do higher reps, so three to four sets of eight to 12 reps, for example. My general rule is if you can do three sets of 10 pull-ups with good form, then you should start loading and progressing with the exercise. As far as how much I load my pull-ups and how I do the tempo, I like to work up to things or progress. So I'm not going to start right off at a 100-pound weighted pull-up. So I'll do a 25-pound, then a 50-pound, and then I'll go to 100. So if I'm doing the heavier pull-ups, then I typically work in that higher weight range, 90 pounds plus. If I'm doing the higher rep, I typically work in that lower weight range for me, which is like a 25-pound to 45-pound or 50-pound range. And I know some of you are listening to this and saying, oh my gosh, like I could never do that. But it is very possible to do that and get there. I've just been doing pull-ups for a very long time and I really enjoy the exercise and I've gotten really good at doing them. I typically program one variation per day when I train uh, pull-ups and I typically do pull-ups three days a week. So three variations a week. I like to do a heavy, a light, and a other sort of day. So one day I do a heavy pull-up or a heavy chin-up. One day I do a lighter weight pull-up or chin-up. And one day I do a different variation. So whether that's the over-under pull-up, an L-sit chin-up, neutral grip, I just kind of change it up and get out of the normality of overhand grip or underhand grip. So that variety is very important for me because it keeps the training interesting and things never get stale. 
I talked earlier about the rotation component. So typically when you see people doing lat pull down or a pull up, their shoulders rotate internally because that's what the lats do. However, we don't want that because over time that's going to lead to shoulder pain and impingement, which is bad. So what we want is we want our shoulders to externally rotate even though we're pulling with our lats, which internally rotate the shoulder. So this is where that rotator cuff group comes in. And they're actually going to pull our shoulders into external rotation, even though the lats are fighting for internal rotation. That helps keep our shoulders safe and healthy. That's all well and good. But like I said, most people don't do that. So how do we know that we're doing that? And how can we make sure that our shoulders are externally rotating? The cue I love to give people is to try and break the bar. So grab onto the bar when you're doing your pull-ups or chin-ups as hard as you can, and then try and break it. Try and pull it apart and bend it in half. And when you're doing that, notice how your shoulders, instead of coming in, kind of open up and rotate to the outside or externally rotate. So try it now. Reach up overhead, squeeze your fists together, and try and bend apart like you're bending a bar in half or breaking a bar. You notice that your shoulders kind of open up and rotate outwards. And that's what we're after when we're doing the pull-up. The other key I like to tell people is to keep everything tense. I get a really good core workout from doing pull-ups. And people look at me all the time like I'm crazy. But when you're doing this exercise, tense everything. Squeeze your core, squeeze your glutes, contract that pelvic floor, straighten your legs and activate your quads. Try and squeeze your calves if you can. Build tension throughout the body and turn this into a full body exercise, even though you're only primarily using your back. The reason I've been pushing the tension so much lately in these podcasts is because the more tension you have in your body, the more you're going to be able to lift and move. So that pretty much sums up the pull-ups and the chin-ups and how, to, how I do them in my own exercises. I'm going to jump down here a little bit and talk about lat pull-downs because they're basically the cable machine version of pull-ups. So if you're someone who's struggling with being able to do full range of motion pull-ups or you don't have the strength yet to do them, start with lat pull-downs. You can still work them and program them the same way. Heavy and light, you can get plenty of variations with different cable machine attachments. You can even even do single arm pull-downs, kneeling pull-downs, you name it. So I typically use pull-downs once or twice a week max. So I maybe give them six to eight sets a week. And I use it as an eccentric accessory. So if I really want to slow down and really feel the muscles contracting and working, I'll use the lat pull-down. And I'll do a five-second eccentric with a two- to three-second isometric hold at the bottom. And that really enhances that mind-muscle connection to the lats. So we've talked extensively about the lats, but we cannot forget the rhomboids and traps. So my go-to for those muscles is dumbbell rows and dumbbell row variations. I will also add TRX rows in here too. 
I do really enjoy the suspension trainer rows. Reason I bring that up is you have to have everything tight and tense when you're using this suspension trainer or the TRX. So you're basically in a plank, so to speak, because your core is active, your glutes are active, your quads are contracted, everything is tight and tense so that when you pull, you're pulling through your back and your whole body moves. You have to lock everything else. So again, that's kind of one of my go-to exercises. The reason I'm not bringing up barbell is a lot of people when I program barbell rows complain about their lower back getting tired and fatigued. So when I program, we typically do Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, Friday, or some other combination of four days a week. And the lower back gets a pretty good workout from core training and leg day, so squats, deadlifts, hip thrusts, lunges, all that sort of thing. So from our standpoint, why do we want to fatigue that more when it's already getting a really good workout and when those muscles are tired and fatigued, we're at a higher risk for injury? So I like to avoid barbell rows. That's not a set in stone, never do barbell rows. In general, most people do not need to do them to gain muscle and strength. So I just prefer to skip the exercises that are less effective in that sense. So with the dumbbell row, my favorite variation is the chest supported on an incline bench dumbbell row. You're working each arm independently. So you're going to even out any imbalances caused by pull-ups and lat pull-downs. And you're also going to really isolate those middle back muscles, even though this is a compound exercise. Again, you're activating a lot of muscles with any kind of row variation, but by doing it on an incline bench, you're preventing yourself from cheating and swinging the weight, and you're really targeting that middle back, and it's really hitting those muscles effectively. As I said, I mentioned the TRX, and that's something I like to program in place of barbell rows. So instead of doing barbell rows, we'll do the TRX, and people generally like that because it's easy to load, you can add a band resistance or a weighted vest, and you're getting a great core workout at the same time. It's also just going back to the concept of mastering the basics because it's a body weight calisthenic style exercise. So if you can't do the basic movements, maybe you shouldn't progress to the more advanced extreme movements in some cases. The other nice thing too is you can do it pretty much anywhere. Suspension trainers are relatively cheap compared to some other gym equipment, and they're portable. They're lightweight, they break down, and you can move them anywhere, and you don't need any fancy attachment most of the time. You know, you can do it off of a door, for example. So that takes care of the lats, that takes care of the traps and the rhomboids, but there's one exercise that brings everything together better than any other exercise you can do, and that's the deadlift. The reason I bring this up as a back exercise and not a leg exercise is all of the back muscles, the lats, the traps, the rhomboids, the spinal erectors, everything is activated in an isometric contraction to hold the spine steady and stable and to hold onto the bar. So you're activating 
every muscle in the back. It's an isometric contraction. That's why I still say the pull-up is better than the deadlift for building the back. However, this is still going to pack on some serious strength throughout those back muscles, and it's going to add some great size to the trapezius or the traps. I don't like to do shrugs for the traps because most people have, are, have postural imbalances. That's the word I'm looking for. They have tight traps to begin with, and typically one side is tighter than the other. So I try and skip the shrugs in favor for these other isometrics like the deadlift or even farmer walks or farmer carries for the traps. And most people respond very well to them and they see great growth in their traps without training them directly just by doing these other compounds. Um, The deadlift, as I said, it's just simple. Keep everything straight and tense and pick the bar up. Keep good form throughout it. It has that isometric contraction of all those back muscles. It's very easy to load the deadlift heavy. You see people deadlifting over a thousand pounds. I know that's kind of an extreme case and they're pretty much deadlift specialists, but still, this is an exercise you can really load heavy and that provides a ton of muscle growth benefits. You're activating almost every muscle in your back and almost every muscle in your legs and pretty much every muscle in your arms because you're gripping really tight on the bar to do deadlifts. So you're activating a ton of muscles and that's going, you're lifting heavy doing it. So that's going to lead to a higher hormone response in the body. So in men, for example, more testosterone, more growth hormone, all those things we think of for muscle growth are released when you're doing these heavy deadlifts. As far as programming, and I'll go back and talk about dumbbell rows quick for programming too, because I just realized I missed that. I like to do deadlifts on their own day. So they get their whole, a whole day dedicated to them. And they're usually low to mid set range. So three to five sets, high weight, low rep. So three to five rep range for me usually. And that's usually how I program them too. I usually keep the reps a little lower or we'll do some kind of pyramid scheme. So we'll do three, four, five or four, six, eight in our reps. But in general, early in the workout, and mid-range for sets and low reps, high weight. As far as the row variations, I like to do them in the middle of a workout, three to four sets, eight to 12 rep range usually. Obviously, you can play around with that and change it up, but that's kind of the sweet spot for my training and what I've seen in my clients so far. Everyone seems to be most effective in that mid-tier range, so to speak. So now that we've talked about the exercises, let's talk about programming them a little more extensively in your workouts because it's great to know these exercises, but how do you put it together into a workout? So if you're someone who does the classic back day, one day dedicated to only back muscles, then I would put this together like so pull-up, whether it be weighted or chin-up or some kind of pull-up variation. And if you can't get the pull-up, then do the deadlift. So pull-up or deadlift first, 
Follow that with a row variation to hit that middle trap and end with lat pull down to go back to the lats. And if you want to throw an isolation exercise in there, I didn't really touch on those extensively because, again, we're talking about the most effective exercises. And isolation exercises where you work one muscle specifically at a time are not the most effective and efficient ways to gain muscle. That's just how it works. However, if you wanted to, you could end with something like a shrug. If you don't have traps that are growing quickly, you could end with a straight arm lat pull down or a dumbbell pullover to target the lads more extensively, something along those lines. I typically program a chest and back together style approach. So pulling and pushing. And if I do that, I always pull before I push. So we tighten down the back and then we press. So think of an exercise like the bench press. If you have that back activation and tightness in your back, you're going to have a more solid and stable platform to press off of. And that's going to allow you to bench press more weight, which will increase your chest and shoulder and tricep gains. So again, back first, then chest, pull, then push. And I typically do two, maybe three superset pairings like that. And I like to break them up by how the pull and push is. So let's take the pull up, for example, again. When I do a pull up, I'm doing a vertical pulling style movement. I'm pulling my body up. So vertical displacement. I would pair that with some sort of shoulder press, whether it be barbell or Z press or dumbbell. And the reason I say that is because the shoulder press is a vertical pushing exercise. So I'm pairing vertical pull with vertical push. Or if I wanted to do bench press, which is more of a horizontal style pressing exercise, because anatomically when we're standing, a bench press would be us pressing a bar in front of us. So I would pair that with something like a seated row or a dumbbell row or other row variation. Uh, My favorite actually is the TRX row. I'll do a weighted TRX row for eight to 10 reps and then I'll drop the vest and I'll do a barbell bench for eight to 10 reps as well, usually four sets. And that's by far one of my favorites. As Always make sure you're gripping and tensing the bar or dumbbell throughout your movements. We went over sets and reps already. Rest periods in general, if you're going for strength, so something like a deadlift, a longer rest period, like a two to three minute rest period, is going to be more effective because it allows you to recover better. However, some people are not going for sheer strength and power, and they're going for size or they're going for endurance. So if you're looking for endurance in the back, then you're going to do shorter rest periods like 30 seconds. And if you're going for that size, you're going to be somewhere in the middle, 45 to 75 second rest period for most cases. Uh, Only thing I didn't mention and I want to touch on real quick is a lot of people like to do a pull day where they do back and biceps together. And as I talked about in the arm exercise podcast, 
the most effective exercises you can do for your biceps in this case, because we're talking about pulling, are things like weighted pull-ups and chin-ups. So if you're doing them already, you're not going to need to hit your biceps with 10 to 15 sets of curls after you've already done the pull-ups and the pull-downs and the rows and all this other stuff. So what I would do is pick one curl variation if you're doing a back and bicep type day and focus it on the part of the biceps that you're not seeing growth in. So for example, if you're not seeing growth in the short head of your biceps, so the middle portion, even though you're doing the weighted chin-ups and pull-ups and pull-downs and rows, then target that portion of the biceps specifically. So that would look something like a preacher curl or a spider curl, something where the elbows are way in front of the body. And likewise, if you're having issues with the long head of the biceps or the outer portion, or maybe you want to bring out the brachialis or brachioradialis a little more, then you would look for something more like a hammer curl or an incline curl or even a reverse curl. So just kind of targeting those exercises, like three to four sets is more than enough for most people to your specific weaknesses or weak points that you want to bring up and bring out a little more. So that's going to do it for today's episode on back exercises, back anatomy, and all about back training. So if you liked this podcast episode or benefited from it in any way, please subscribe and share with a friend. And as always, please make sure to stay in touch with us on social media at Brawn Body, Brawn with a W. We love to hear your thoughts and opinions on our podcast and what we're doing. Thanks again for tuning in and have a great rest of your day. Yeah.